What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. You're listening to The Exchange in progress. You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. Progressive leaders like Senator Elizabeth Warren said, quote, this bill, this is a bill that truly is about fighting inflation, bringing down the cost for families, and putting our country on a sounder economic footing. Here's how it works. First, the bill finally delivers on a promise that Washington has made for decades to the American people. We're giving Medicare, we're giving Medicare the power to negotiate for lower prescription drug prices which means seniors and consumers will pay less for their prescription drugs. Medicare will save in the process about $290 billion. And in addition, it also changes the circumstances for people on Medicare by putting a cap of a maximum $2,000 a year. They have to pay no more than $2,000 a year, no matter how many prescriptions they have for all the prescription drugs, which is especially important for people with cancer, and long-term diseases. It's a godsend. It'll literally be a godsend for many families. <clears throat> Second, the bill locks in place lower health care premiums for the next three years for millions of families that get coverage under the Affordable Care Act. They will mean an average savings of $800 a year for 13 million people. Third, it invests $369 billion Granted, I call for 500-plus, but invest $369 billion to secure our energy future and to address the climate crisis, bringing down family energy bills by hundreds of dollars by providing working families tax credits. It gives folks rebates by, to buy new and efficient appliances, to weatherize their homes, and tax credits for heat pumps and rooftop solar. It also gives consumers a tax credit to buy any electric vehicle or fuel cell vehicle, new or used, and a tax credit for up to $7,500 if those vehicles were made in America. This investment in environmental justice is real. It also provides tax credits that will create thousands of good-paying jobs, manufacturing jobs, on clean energy construction projects, solar projects, wind projects, clean hydrogen projects, carbon capture projects, and more by giving tax credits for those who build these projects here in America. Now, let me be clear. This bill would be the most significant legislation in history to tackle the climate crisis and improve our energy security right away. It'll give us a tool to meet the climate goals that are set, that we've agreed to, by cutting emissions and accelerating clean energy, a huge step forward. Fourth, this bill requires the largest corporations to begin to begin to pay toward their fair share in taxes by putting in place a 15% corporate minimum tax. Now, I know you've never heard me say this before. It will come as a shock to you, but 55 of the Fortune 500 companies paid no federal income tax in 2020. I know you only heard me say that about 10,000 times. 
But the fact is, they paid no taxes on an income, collective income, over $40 billion. Well, guess what? This bill ends that. It's because they're going to have to pay a minimum of 15 percent tax on that $40 billion or whatever the number turns out to be. Fifth, this package will reduce the federal deficit by over $300 billion. Already on my watch, deficits come down my first year by $350 billion and a record $1.7 trillion at the end of this fiscal year. Now, that, this bill is going to keep that progress going. Yes, I'll say it again. This legislation will bring down the deficit. Bring down the deficit. The sixth point I want to make is this bill will not raise taxes on anyone making less than $400,000 a year. And I promise, a promise I made during the campaign and one which that, I have, one that I've kept. Now, look, I know it can be sometimes seem like nothing gets done in Washington. <laughs> I know it never crossed any of your minds, but the work of the government can be slow and frustrating and sometimes even infuriating. Then the hard work of hours and days and months from people who refuse to give up pays off. History is made. Lives are changed. With this legislation, we're facing up to some of our biggest problems, and we're taking a giant step forward as a nation. That didn't just happen on this, infl on this inflation reduction bill. It also happened yesterday when the Senate made the bipartisan decision as a nation to invest in America's manufacturing technology of semiconductors and additional funding for basic research and development in the cutting-edge industries of the 21st century. If the House passes this bill, I think Speaker — I want to thank Speaker Pelosi. I think she's going to get it done for her leadership here. It has — it has added to the benefit — it has the added benefit of creating tens of thousands of good-paying — additional good-paying jobs, lowering inflation. It's giving us the ability — the ability not only to compete with China for the future, but to lead the world and win the economic competition of the 21st century. You've heard me say a thousand times, we have to invest in research, development, and growth. I hope that the House is going to pass this bill today. My plea is, put politics aside. Get it done. We need to lower the cost of automobiles, appliances, smartphones, consumer electronics, and so much more. And you can't do it. All of these things are powered. Almost everything in our lives is powered by these semiconductors and tiny computer chips the size of a fingernail tip. Look, we should pass this today and get moving. I know the compromise on the inflation bill doesn't include everything that I've been pushing for since I got to office. For example, I'm going to keep fighting for in the future to bring down the cost of things for working families and middle-class families that matter by providing for affordable and accessible things like affordable child care, affordable elder care, preschool, the cost of preschool, housing, keeping students with the — helping students with the cost of college, closing the health care coverage gap. You know, that's a fancy way of saying the health care coverage gap. Expanding Medicaid in states that refuse to do it and more. Look, this bill is far from perfect. It's a compromise. But it is — it's often how progress is made, by compromises. And uh, the fact is that uh, my message to Congress is this. This is the strongest bill you can pass to lower inflation, cut the deficit, reduce health care costs, 
tackle the climate crisis and promote energy security, all the time while reducing the burdens facing working class and middle class families. So pass it. Pass it for the American people. Pass it for America. I'll have more to say on this later. Now I want to thank uh, Leader Schumer and, and Manchin, Joe Manchin, Senator Manchin, for the extraordinary effort that it took to reach this result. Thank you. And let me speak to one other issue. Let me speak to one other issue, the GDP, and whether or not there, we are in a recession. Both Chairman Powell and many of the uh, um, uh, significant uh, banking personnel and economists say we're not in a recession. But let me just give you what the facts are in terms of the state of the economy. Number one, we have a record job market of uh, record unemployment of 3.6 percent today. We've created 9 million new jobs so far, just since we become president. Businesses are investing in America at record rates, at record rates. Foreign business like SK and others are investing in America, hundreds of millions and uh, trillions of dollars, some total. $100 billion in semiconductor investments already announced by Intel, Samsung, and Texas Instruments. More than $100 billion in electric vehicle battery investments by Ford, General Motors, Hyundai, Tesla, and more. And just last week, as I said, SK Corporation of the Republic of Korea announced $22 billion in new investment in semiconductor batteries, chargers, and medical devices, creating another 16,000 jobs here in America. And this is powering the strongest rebound in American manufacturing in over three decades, creating 613,000 613, manufacturing jobs. Passing the CHIPS bill is going to put another $72 billion for incentives and tax credits to expand semiconductor production. And the Inflation Reduction Act will add another $370 billion in clean energy tax credits in reconciliation including incentives to accelerate domestic production of solar panels, wind turbines, batteries, and critical materials processing. That doesn't sound like a recession to me. Thank you very much. President Biden wrapping up remarks on the Inflation Reduction Act, the surprise deal between Democratic Senators Manchin and Schumer. This is just one of several live events out of Washington today. Janet Yellen is set to speak on the economy in just a few moments on the heels of that GDP report the president just referenced, the second negative print in a row, sending off alarm bells about the economy. We'll bring Yellen's presser to you or remarks to you live as soon as they do begin. First, though, let's get over to Dominic Chu with the very latest on these markets. That 10-year yield is catching my attention, Dom. And it's not just that. I mean, with a GDP print like we've seen and, and people saying that maybe we are in a recession, contrary to what President Biden may be saying right now, you'd think the markets would be a little skittish about it. But they're not. We had 1.5% gains for the Dow yesterday, 25 for the S&P, 4% for the NASDAQ, and we're adding onto those today again as well. This is now session highs. At the lows of the session, the Dow was down 215 points, so a big reversal there. We're out up three quarters of 1%. The S&P is solidly above 4,000, 4,052, up 28 points, three quarters of 1%, and a third percent advance for that tech-heavier NASDAQ composite, up 42 points, 12,074 the last trade there. 
One of the places, though, we are seeing the policy end of things in Washington affect the markets in a very direct way is because of this new plan to kind of add to new energy, renewable energy, alternative energy infrastructure. For that reason, some of the best performing stocks in the market today are tied to energy infrastructure. Look at Constellation Energy up 16 percent. Enphase, SolarEdge and Sunrun on the solar specific side of things up anywhere from 5 to 26 percent on those moves. And even the Invesco Solar ETF, ticker TAN, is up about 6 percent as well. So Washington policy translates into markets there. And then, of course, today we've got Meta Platforms down, Alphabet down and Microsoft down. That leaves Apple and Amazon after the closing bell today. Two very consequential earnings reports when it comes to technology and consumer discretionary. Apple shares setting up going into that print just about flat on the session. Maybe more of a wait and see here. Same with Amazon up one quarter of one percent. So keep an eye on Apple. Keep an eye on Amazon. Big tech still in focus. Kelly, I'll send things back over to you. So session highs pretty much for stocks and 268 for the 10 year yield. Wow. GDP, Dom, thank you. GDP contracting for a second straight quarter, raising recession fears. But in his press conference yesterday, Fed Chair Jay Powell said GDP isn't the only thing he's watching and that we're not in a recession. Listen. If you think about what 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 an inflation, what, what sorry, what a recession really is, it's a broad based decline across many industries that, um, you know, that's sustained for more than a couple of months. And there are a bunch of specific tests in it. And, and it just doesn't this doesn't seem like that. Now, what we have right now doesn't seem like that. And the, the real reason is that the labor market is just sending such a strong a signal of economic strength that it makes you really question the GDP data. My next guest agrees. He's also focusing on the labor market and the CPI no- numbers in the coming months. Joining me is Jay Bryson. He's the chief economist at Wells Fargo. Great to check in with you, Jay, because we need some plain talk on the economy right now. What do you think is happening? Well, Kelly, I mean, there certainly is a slowdown going on. I mean, we see that in the GDP numbers, if you just want to focus on that. You know, one thing I like to look at is the year-over-year rate. Uh, That kind of smooths out the quarterly volatility. You know, in the first year, the economy was up 3.6% on a year-over-year basis. It's only up 1% right now. So there's clearly a slowdown going on right now. We're probably not yet in a recession, but clearly things are slowing out there. Yeah, I mean, I do think it's worth pointing out how much of this is strong nominal growth. It's pretty, I mean, we had nominal GDP growth 8% in the second quarter. I mean, that's a huge demand push, if you want to call it that. It's just that it's all going into inflation. Yeah, that's right. It's, you know, nominal GDP is the the addition or the, the, the combination of real GDP growth and inflation. And the vast majority of it right now is is inflation. Uh, we economists, we like to focus on the real sort of numbers, because at the end of the day, what we're looking at is the ability to buy goods and services, um, you know, in volume terms. And that's why you look at the real side of, of things. Inflation doesn't do anything for, for anybody, really. So the recession question to me feels like on the one hand, we're already there. Um, If you wanted to say, what is a recession? Well, you know, it's eroding low-income consumers' purchasing power in particular. You know, consumer confidence readings have been at pretty much all-time lows. And this is all because the Fed, they didn't tighten us into a recession. They loosened us into one. So what do they do now? They just hiked again another 75 basis points yesterday. What should the trajectory look like from here? 
You know, Kelly, I think at this point they're really in data dependency mode. Up to this point, it was the last two or three meetings, it's, they're pretty much on autopilot. They're trying to go from zero to what they would classify as neutral, and that is a rate that's neither stimulating the economy nor restraining it. And so right now we're probably at neutral. Many members think we need to go into restrictive, so have some restraint, but that's a, that's a trickier sort of question. And so they're really going to be looking at uh, all the data coming up. But for me, two of the, the most important ones will be the labor market reports. We'll get two more of those between now and the end of September and two more CPI inflation reports. Those things will be key and I think will really determine how the Fed progresses from here. Yeah. At the same time, the jobless claims the leading labor market indicator looks pretty healthy still. I mean, 250,000 by historical measures is nothing to be alarmed about. Well, it's, it's the change there that you really have to look at. And actually, the change, we, we've been trending up now for six weeks or maybe even eight weeks now in terms of the initial jobless claims. But what, what we were looking at earlier was continuing claims. So these are people who continue to file for unemployment benefits. And what's interesting there is they haven't moved. They stay rock bottom low. So what that's telling me about the job market right now is People are losing their jobs. They file for unemployment uh, insurance for the first time, but they don't continue to, to file because guess what? They've gone out and they found another job. So that tells me that the labor market still is holding up okay at this point. So where do you come down on kind of, so the economy is slowing. You think maybe the Fed should take a pause here and, and reevaluate or, or keep, keep going? What's the bottom line? I think the bottom line, again, really, Kelly, is it's really going to depend on the, on the incoming data. If, if we get a strong labor market report um, next week, next Friday, uh, that tells me the Fed probably needs to keep going here. And then also couple on top of that the inflation sort of numbers that we're going to get in mid-August. If the core rate of inflation, when you strip out energy, because we know gasoline prices are down, if you look at the core rate of inflation, if that continues to come in pretty hot, then my my sense would be the Fed's going to continue to raise rates. You know, it's probably maybe it's not 75 again. Maybe it's only 50, but they're probably going to continue to raise rates. All right. Jay Bryson, thank you for your time. We'll leave it there. We appreciate it. Thank you. Joining us today from Wells Fargo. And while the data have been softer lately, the stock market has also undergone a dramatic valuation reset. One of my next guests says today's report isn't bad news for the markets necessarily. He says it's time to start buying the dips. Let's bring in David Katz, Matrix Asset Advisor CIO, along with Ileana Dominguez. She's UBS Wealth Management Senior Vice President. Great to have you guys both here. And David, I'll start with you. And you have had uh, this change in tone, or let's call it the last couple of weeks. Uh, Tell me what you want to buy and, and what you feel about the stock market now. So we think six to 12 months, the stock market is going to be higher. And we've been buying into this weakness. Uh, the the uh, economic number today in terms of the economy maybe being in a recession with the negative GDP, let's put it in perspective. If we're in a recession, it's going to be a mild recession. And generally, stocks go down about three to six months before the economy enters a recession, and they start to go up mid-recession. So if we're in a recession... We still think you want to be buying stocks here. Uh, there are lots of very solid names out there that are very attractive prices. We like companies like Cisco, Goldman Sachs, Medtronic, Microsoft, all selling at below market multiples, uh, except for the Microsoft, you're paying a little bit more for a great growth company, and they're all down a lot this year. What if the, the I'll call it the end of a business cycle, so we don't you know, get all the terms confused here, but what if that end of the business cycle isn't actually coming until earlier middle of next year? 
Well, we think that the economy is slowing now. It's going to be a pause that refreshes, and we do think the economy is going to start to enter a new growth mode. Uh, we think that inflation is breaking, and if that's the case, the Fed is going to be able to be less hawkish next year. So we think the economy is going to be getting better, and the stock market is already discounted uh, a milder uh, recession or a moderate recession. And we think when it's not as bad as that or when it starts to get better, stocks go a lot higher. Ileana, what do you say? And, and it's a remarkable, I have to say, to look at the 10-year yield, which has gone from almost 3.5% six weeks ago. After a point and a half of Fed tightening now in the past six weeks, it's down to under 2.7%. That's pretty remarkable. I wonder what, you know, how much heavy lifting that's doing for the market right now. Um, hi, Kelly. Yes, it does seem like it's actually working in regards to the initial rates that they've done, um, especially the 75 basis points in June and July. But with that being said, their target is still 3.25% uh, by year end, which is another 100 basis points. We don't necessarily think that they're going to be raising rates as aggressive as they have in the last two meetings, maybe 25, 50 basis points. But we still think it's a little too early um, to see if there's going to be a recession or not. We do think if there is going to be one, it's going to be mild as we sit today. I think there's still a lot of uncertainty out there. So with that being said here at UBS, we're taking a little bit more of a defensive stance. of Sort of a value stance, if you would. I mean, some of that uh, overlaps with the, the kinds of stocks that David is looking at. But let's be clear, in particular, you like energy and health healthcare. Is that right? Absolutely. We like energy and healthcare. We like high quality, low beta, um, kind of, you know, companies that are have good cash flow. Uh, we like value over growth. It's shown since 1975 that if the inflation is over 3%, value has outperformed growth in any business cycle. So to keep that in mind, you know, also the Russell 1000 um, growth index is about 70% um, of uh, comparison to the Russell uh, value index, normally it's about 35%, which is actually um, what we're looking for the Russell 1000 growth to kind of come back down for valuation um, uh, component. So we are very interested in, in value over growth in that sense. In addition to that, having a liquidity strategy for clients of three to five years of cash flow makes a lot of sense because A, you know, you don't have to sell if the market does pull back to um, increase liquidity. And second, it gives you the opportunity to have potential to, um, to buy at a lower level. All right, David, turning back to you, man, that, that's a lot of cash for people to, to be keeping on hand, I think, especially some of your clients. But David, uh, some of the names that you like are more big cap tech names, Microsoft, Cisco, Qualcomm. How would you describe the style of the companies and investments you're looking for right now? So we like everything that your guest just said in terms of value being the place to be. And, and the, the technology companies that we talk about are value stocks. You know, in terms of Qualcomm, it's, it's at 11, 12 times earnings, Cisco, 12, 13 times earnings. So we think you can buy those companies, focus on value, but now is not the time to be defensive from our perspective because you've already had a bear market. Stocks are already down 20 percent. Many stocks are down 20 to 40 percent. So we're buying uh, some really good growth companies, but at value prices. And we think that's going to be in the sweet spot of making money in the upcoming period. All right. We'll leave it there. Thank you both. David Katz, Ileana Dominguez. We very much Thanks. appreciate it. Thank you. Coming up, shares of Royal Caribbean climbing after the cruise line reported a smaller than expected loss. We've got the CEO on whether guests are returning and how they're managing the debt load. 
And we're awaiting Treasury Secretary Yellen's remarks on the state of the U.S. economy. We'll bring it to you live when it happens. And as we head to break, here's a look at the markets. The Dow's up 300 points right now. That's a session high. Uh, the Nasdaq is actually lagging somewhat, up about two-thirds of 1%. And the 10-year yield is 2676. Stay with us. This is The Exchange on CNBC. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones, from powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY, a big idea that inspired the world to invest differently and still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Welcome back to The Exchange, everybody. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen is set to speak on the economy following this morning's disappointing GDP data, and we'll bring that to you live in just a moment when it happens. In the meantime, take a look at shares of Royal Caribbean, the company posting a smaller-than-expected loss per share this morning. Beat revenue estimates, bookings for the second half of the year now exceed pre-pandemic levels. Even so, third-quarter guidance came in light, and the cruise line warned also of soaring fuel costs. Today, Royal Caribbean shares are up about 6.25%. They're still down more than 50% since January and have retraced to levels not seen since the early days of the pandemic. Let's bring in Jason Liberty. He is the CEO of Royal Caribbean with our very own Seema Modi in a first on CNBC interview. Seema? Kelly, thank you. Jason, welcome back to CNBC. Let's start with the good news here. Uh, revenue in the second quarter doubled what you saw in the first quarter. Uh, pricing of tickets has certainly come down. Is that what's driving bookings here, Jason? Well, no, what's, what's really, been, if you look at our, our revenue environment, it, you know, we, there's a mix between what's happening with ticket and what's happening with onboard. And that's really more packaging in terms of how we're coming to market. What really drove it was you know, higher load factor, so more accelerated demand um, on our close-in bookings uh, is what drove uh, the outperformance relative to our expectation for the quarter. Your stock really popped on the comments you made on the analyst call this morning where you said you will prioritize cash to pay down debt. For those shareholders who are invested in RCL shares, are you telling them you will not launch a stock sale, which your competitor Carnival did last week? Yeah, well, I really said, uh, I think, uh, three things about uh, our, how we're going to manage our capital. First is we're, st we're still continue to seek high returning investments that we make. 
Um, you know, second, as we are now generating um, um, you know, free cash flow and so forth, we will be prioritizing that and using some of that cash um, you know, to pay down debt. So I don't think what we, we're trying to signal is, you know, any type of uh, capital raise we do as a board decision, um, we take uh, raising um, equity very at a, it's a very, very high bar for us. And we don't have any plans um, to issue equity. And if you look in the past, we, rose, we raised equity um, in order to support our liquidity needs um, during the pandemic. And today we're generating a positive cash flow. Yeah, free cash flow positive and, uh, free ca and positive EBITDA. Your take on the consumer going into fall and winter, Jason? Oh, sorry, Seema, I just, I, just uh, I just lost the connection. If you could repeat the question. I'm going to have to wrap it there. Uh, Jason, thank you for okay. your time. We are going against Janet Yellen. Kelly, back to you. Seema, thank you very much. Jason, our thanks as well. And apologies uh, for having to jump in there. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen is about to speak on the U.S. economy after this morning's disappointing GDP data. Let's get a quick setup from Kayla Tausche. We just saw her live uh, there near the podium at the Treasury. Kayla? Kelly, we're awaiting the Treasury Secretary, who has been among the earliest and most honest brokers on the economy, as the White House has hewed very closely to the message that the U.S. is not in a recession. But Secretary Yellen last May suggested that the Fed might need to raise rates to tame inflation. Last fall, she said that inflation might not go away until the end of this year. And so while she's already said that she believes the underlying economy is strong, what we're listening for today is where she believes the economy goes from here. Kelly, are there any policy implications, Kayla, any announcements here? Um, what are we really listening for? We are not expecting any specific policy announcements here. But as you know, with all of these officials, we will be reading the tea leaves for everything she says, for anything the administration might be considering, and some policies where she's already weighed in behind the scenes, Kelly. All right, Kayla, we'll come back to you in just a moment. Also with us right now, Dan Clifton is head of policy research at Strategus, a Baird company. Tony Frado is founding partner of Hamilton Place Strategies and a CNBC contributor. Our Steve Leisman is standing by as well. So welcome to all of you. Dan, I'll turn to you first. What's your two cents, sure. not just on the comments we're about to hear from Yellen, but we're going to hear from the president twice today. We had this big development last night from Manchin on the uh, Inflation Reduction Act. Yeah, so the president's approval rating over the last couple of weeks has continued to deteriorate. He's below where President Trump is. They really needed to write the course. The president's come out uh, out of COVID with a strong sense of momentum. He now has a chips bill that's likely to pass. He now finally got Senator Manchin to commit to an agreement. And the administration feels like they are starting to get a little bit more of an offensive march here. But they are going to be weighed down by the economic data. Inflation remains very high. We just had two negative quarters of GDP growth. We could debate about whether that's a recession or not, but Americans don't feel well about that. And you're still going to have high inflation. It's going to take months for that to come down. And I think they're trying to get out in front of that. At these levels, the president will be in for a pretty tough midterm election night. And they're trying to get some sort of improvement from that with these latest developments that occurred. And Steve Leisman, not that anyone in our audience needs to be reminded, but Janet Yellen was the former Fed chair. Are you re looking, anticipating anything that she says that could be a veiled critique of Fed policy and endorsement? Or do you think she'll try to steer clear of that entirely? I think she'll steer, still steer clear of it, uh, Kelly. I think that uh, the administration is in a mode right now where it's letting the Fed do the heavy lifting when it comes to um, uh, fighting inflation. I think there's things the administration can be doing uh, other than uh, passing bills and calling them inflation fighting things when they, may, they don't appear to be doing so. Tony Fratto, we turn to you. Are we missing something in the details of this uh, 
proposed legislation on the clean energy side, on the subsidy side, on the tax hikes? I mean, where do you see the inflation reduction? Well, I don't really think about it in, in terms of inflation reduction. I know Larry Summers talks about it that way. We have to remember this is a this is a bill that's going to uh, be implemented over time, and we're dealing with inflation right now, and it's not going to come fast enough yeah. either way. But she should be talking about jobs, and that's what I expect her to hear. From, All right, Tony, uh, thank you. And here's the Treasury Secretary, Janet. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Moment for our economy, and it presents an opportunity for us all to take stock. Coming out of the depths of the pandemic, the United States experienced an historic economic recovery, a rebound that's unmatched in our nation's modern history in its speed and scale. Right now, even in the face of global headwinds, including a war in Europe and successive variants of the pandemic, our economy remains resilient. Our unemployment rate stands at 3.6%, household finances are strong, and industrial output continues to grow. This outcome was not preordained. In January 2021, when President Biden and this administration took office, the unemployment rate was at 6.4%. 834,000 new jobless claims were being filed each week on average, and 20 million Americans were receiving unemployment benefits. Only 1% of Americans had been fully vaccinated against COVID-19, and over 3,000 people were dying from the virus each day. In many respects, by the time President Biden took office, our economy had been brought to a standstill. At its core, our remarkable progress since then has been driven by this administration's policies, particularly through timely and targeted fiscal support in the rescue plan, combined with a vaccination effort that allowed businesses to reopen and Americans to get back to work. Over the course of the administration, our economy has created over 9 million jobs, and the labor market is now at full employment. In 2021, we saw the biggest single-year decline in unemployment on record and the biggest year of economic growth in almost four decades. Fixed investment has recovered to pre-pandemic trend in just two years. By comparison, in the last two recessions, this never happened. And during this time, we also reduced the deficit by $1.5 trillion. These statistics are not abstractions. 
They represent American workers back at work, families with more financial security, and businesses, small and large, that have been able to hire and grow. As President Biden has said, we've entered a new phase in our recovery, focused on achieving steady, stable growth without sacrificing the gains of the last 18 months. We know there are challenges ahead of us. Growth is slowing globally. Inflation remains unacceptably high. And it's this administration's top priority to bring it down. We know how difficult higher prices can be for families, how they can squeeze a household budget, and how challenging the past two years of disruption caused by COVID-19 have been. And that's why this administration mounted an historic vaccination campaign to get the pandemic under control and why we're laser focused on bringing down prices. The same factors that have driven inflation to record levels internationally in peers like Canada, the United Kingdom, and the Eurozone, those factors are hurting Americans as well. These challenges also include Vladimir Putin's illegal and shameful war in Ukraine. More than half the inflation experienced in 2022 reflects rising food and energy costs, global fallout from Russia's invasion. And it also reflects the lingering impacts of the pandemic, particularly in China, where repeated lockdowns have brought their economy to a halt. Well, the Federal Reserve has the primary role in bringing down inflation. The President and I are committed to taking action to drive down costs and protect Americans from the global pressures we face. That includes the President's historic release of one million barrels a day from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, which helped reduce the price of gas by between 17 and 42 cents per gallon, according to a Treasury analysis this week. Americans have seen additional relief on this front, and in the last few weeks, prices have declined by over 60 cents a gallon in total. Our efforts also include the work we've done to develop a cap on the price of Russian oil, a way to ensure a steady flow of oil onto the global market, while denying Putin revenue for his military. At a time of global anxiety over high prices, a price cap on Russian oil is one of the most powerful tools we have to address inflation by preventing future spikes in energy costs. The reconciliation package announced yesterday will also help ease inflationary pressures by lowering some of the biggest costs families face, including energy, healthcare, and prescription drugs, all while making historic investments in fighting climate change and reducing the deficit. Importantly, this bill will also make sure we finally have the resources we need to ensure that wealthy Americans are not able to avoid paying the taxes they owe. These efforts are long overdue, and Congress should pass it immediately. This context, including the successes of the last year and the global challenges we face, 
is critical in understanding today's GDP data. Most economists and most Americans have a similar definition of recession. Substantial job losses and mass layoffs, businesses shutting down, private sector activities slowing considerably, family budgets under immense strain, in some, a broad-based weakening of our economy. That is not what we're seeing right now when you look at the economy. Job creation is continuing. Household finances remain strong. Consumers are spending and businesses are growing. As one example, in the last three months, our economy has created over 1.1 million jobs. In the three months beginning each, mo each modern recession outside of the pandemic, our economy lost 240,000 jobs on average. Spending by businesses and consumers, the core of our economic activity, rose by 3% in the first quarter of this year and continued to expand in the second. Industrial output, the measure of our manufacturing, mining, and utilities sectors, has shown strong average growth over the first half of the year compared to sharp average declines during past recessions. In the context of today's report, it's important to look beyond the headline number to understand what's happening. The contraction in GDP was driven primarily by the change in private inventories, a volatile component of GDP which subtracted over two percentage points off quarterly growth. Today's report shows continued expansion in consumer spending overall and in services in particular, in addition to notable strength in net exports. Overall, with a slowdown in private demand, this report indicates an, an economy that is transitioning to more steady, sustainable growth. This path is consistent with one that eases inflationary pressures while maintaining the labor market progress of the past 18 months. While our economy has been resilient in the face of numerous shocks over the past two years, I should also stress that there are numerous risks on the horizon, many of them global, that we remain highly attuned to. They include the outcome of the war in Ukraine, COVID lockdowns in China, and pandemic-related supply chain snarls. These factors make predicting the future difficult, and we must be clear-eyed and vigilant about the threats they pose. But we cannot lose sight of the remarkable progress we have made from the depths of the pandemic and the tremendous resilience our economy has shown, thanks to the hard work and perseverance of American workers, families, and businesses, as well as effective policy. This progress gives us a solid foundation to confront the challenges ahead of us. And I believe that in the months to come, with skill and luck, it's possible to maintain that strength, particularly in the labor market, while easing the tightness that has driven inflation. And with that, I'd be happy to take your questions.
Hi, thank you, um, Secretary. Um, regardless of whether or not we're in a recession, um, and you seem to be indicating not, um, many Americans are feeling some, some pain right now. And uh, the last time we had to uh, tame inflation at this level was the early 1980s. And it took two years to do that. Do you anticipate that this fight will, against inflation will be a, a long and grinding one like the early 80s, or will it, be, will it be faster? And do we need to see some job losses in order to bring that inflation rate down? Thank you. So um, with respect to how Americans are feeling about the economy, they're experiencing um, great stress from high inflation. We simply haven't seen anything like this since the 1970s. And um, seeing what's happening to food prices and energy prices and um, rent and other prices in the economy is um, making families very concerned about their household budgets. They want to see it end. And this is pressure that's real that we recognize, and it's the president's top priority to bring inflation down. Um, I, I think the, the key job here is the Federal Reserves. They're clearly moving to address that and have indicated their commitment to bring it down. Um, you know, there are, it, this is a very unusual situation in that um, coming out of the pandemic, we have a, a set of supply chain challenges that continue to affect the economy, an example being the ongoing shortage of semiconductors that's holding back production of vehicles. And it's hard to know just what the time frame is for uh, those supply chain pressures to resolve and to ease. I think there are some positive signs that we're seeing that uh, suggest that inflation uh, is likely to come down in the days ahead, but um, the proof of the pudding will be in the eating. But the Fed is taking the right measures. Um, the administration and Congress are taking very important supplementary measures. As I mentioned, the releases from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve that have been one factor working to bring down gas prices and the legislation that will make an enormous difference to prescription drug prices and serve to hold health care costs down. The investments in energy and to address climate change will, um, over time, um, improve greatly our uh, sense of security about energy and make us much less vulnerable to uh, global shocks. And as, as you know, we're working um, with our allies on a price cap to avoid uh, further upward pressure on oil, oil and gas prices. Thank you very much. Chris Condon from Bloomberg News. I'd like to follow up on David's question by asking you specifically, do you think it will be necessary for unemployment to rise above 5% in order for inflation to reach the Fed's longer run target of 2%? Thank you. Well, I believe, as I've said, 
um, that there is a path to bring down inflation while maintaining a strong labor market. And um, most estimates of the natural rate of unemployment are um, lower than 5%. Now, um, it's not a certainty that that can be done, but um, I believe there is a path to accomplishing that. And as Chair Powell has said repeatedly, that would be his objective to try to accomplish that. And I would consider that a good outcome as well. Clearly, we are seeing a slowing in the economy and in demand that's appropriate and necessary to um, transition from rapid growth and recovery from uh, a serious job shortfall to now a very strong labor market. Um, we need to see a slowdown in growth. We are seeing that. I do believe there's a path um, by which we maintain a strong labor market like that. Hamara Mok with the Wall Street Journal. Um, Madam Secretary, could you say a little bit more about how you believe the Inflation Reduction Act would impact inflation? How much do you believe that package would subtract from inflation and over what time frame? So I, I don't have numerical estimates for you, but um, I see that as making a very important contribution to lowering the cost of prescription drugs, which is, um, for many households, a very severe burden on their household budgets. This is something that um, policymakers and members of Congress have sought to um, accomplish for many, many years, and it's a great achievement if it can become law and will certainly help. And with respect to health care premiums, the um, funding that's provided uh, there um, is going to be important in holding down um, health insurance costs for many Americans. So these are two important contributions that we should see come into play um, as soon as the legislation is passed and uh, put into effect. Beyond that, um, there is deficit reduction in the bill, and over time, um, that's, I, I see deficit reduction as a, a, an, a, an appropriate um, accompaniment to um, the, cha the, the policy changes the Fed is putting into effect. Secretary Yellen, in today's GDP report, we saw very high nominal GDP growth. How does that high level of growth jibe with the idea that the economy is slowing? And does it suggest that the economy is going to have to slow down at an even more aggressive pace in order to get back to 2% inflation? Well, I mean, we had high nominal GDP growth because um, inflation is high and that shows up in the GDP deflator. Real growth was reported in this advance report as a negative number, and that's a better metric uh, to look at in assessing the overall performance um, of the economy. So um, I, I see the last several quarters as um, 
exhibiting a significant slowdown in the pace of spending in the economy. And when you look at the details um, in terms of spending components, we're in a period where there's very significant fiscal drag. Um, government spending made a negative contribution to GDP. Um, we, we saw a negative contribution this quarter, huge from inventories. But importantly, consumer spending remains positive. But definitely the real data, um, to my mind, show that there is, that there is a slowdown um, in progress. And, um, you know, the, the labor market right now is extremely tight and maybe the source of some of the inflationary pressure, certainly not all of it by any means. Food and energy are a very important contributor. Supply chain problems um, the, relating to the pandemic and what's happening in China, those are important. But we've got two job vacancies for every unemployed person, which is a level of tightness in the labor market that we really, I don't think, have ever seen historically. And the slowdown in the economy, coupled hopefully with um, a restoration of somewhat higher level, a rebound in labor force participation, we're not sure if that will occur. But beginning to take some of the tightness out of the labor market while maintaining overall a strong labor market, I think that's a plan to bring down inflation. Thank you so much, Madam Secretary. Kayla Tausche from CNBC. Is there such a thing as a mild or a partial recession, as some have suggested? And if so, what would that look like? And second, are you committed to staying in this role until growth and inflation stabilize? Um, I will stay in this role as long as um, President Biden finds my contributions to be useful. I serve uh, at his pleasure. Um, and. I'm sorry, what was the, fir the first part of the question was? Is there such a thing as a mild recession? Mild recession. Well, sure. Recessions are, recessions are different. And um, we had an extremely severe recession following the global financial crisis when unemployment rose to um, around 10 percent. And um, it took really a decade for the economy to get back to full employment. Um, we've had milder recessions certainly than that. Um, there's usually been a significant increase in the unemployment rate, but they do differ. And, you know, this is a very unusual situation where we have a slowdown, the labor market remains very tight. Um, you know, we could see some mild easing of pressures in the labor market um, and yet continue to feel we've got a good, strong labor market that's operating in full employment. Hi, Secretary Ellen Neil Irwin from Axios. Uh, there's been a, a big run-up in the dollar in the last few months uh, in currency markets. That's especially hard on emerging markets. Uh, do you believe the, the degree of dollar appreciation we've seen so far is appropriate? Do you fear it's gone too far? And should we be worried about kind of feedback loops and, and negative effects on the global economy? Well, thanks for that question. I mean, there certainly has been 
is significant appreciation of the dollar. I think part of it is driven by interest rate differentials between the United States and other countries as um, we've moved to tighten monetary policy more quickly. It's attracted capital inflows into the United States that have pushed up the dollar. And that's typically um, something that occurs in cycles of monetary policy tightening. I think we've also seen some um, risk-off, safe haven type flows into the dollar that have um, exacerbated that. Um, you know, I am worried about the global outlook. The IMF and World Bank have, um, on several occasions now, downgraded the outlook. A strong dollar creates, for some of those countries, um, pressures, pressures on their economies, especially um, when there's dollar-denominated debt that becomes harder to pay off. So rising interest rate, strong dollar environment um, can create pressures um, in other parts of the world, especially at a time when all of us are suffering from the impacts of Putin's war that are driving up energy and food prices and um, creating real burdens on most countries around the world, and particularly the lowest income countries, we are seeing more countries that are likely to experience debt distress. So this is a stressful environment for many countries around the world. Um, you know, some countries are benefiting from higher commodity prices, though, so it's, it's an offset and it, it differs. But I don't, you asked about self-reinforcing cycles. And I don't see that um, occurring um, at, this, at, this, at this point. I don't see that kind of distress um, developing anywhere that I'm aware of. Thank you. Jeff Stein with The Washington Post. Um, you know, the polling shows that most Americans feel like we're in a recession. Why have this drawn-out semantic battle, you know, the administration has been on this offensive to define a recession a certain way. Why have this semantic battle, especially when so many Americans feel like they were misled last year, um, especially given the chance that things could, again, change and we could actually, you know, have a recession by the definition that you're outlining? Why has this become um, this, this battle? So I agree with you, and I think we should avoid a semantic battle. I've tried to do that in my remarks today. Um, when you say that Americans are very concerned about the economy, I think their biggest concern is with inflation and high prices that they feel they can't afford um, to put gas in their gas tank, and people are worried about their retirement savings and whether or not they'll have enough to retire. Now, sometimes people use the word recession to refer to that. That's really about inflation. But I think that the discomfort that households feel, it's not because of the job market. Um, jobs are readily available, and most Americans feel good about their employment prospects. Layoffs have been low. They may, some may worry that the economy, that the labor market will weaken, but I think the biggest burden that's weighing on, negatively on household sentiment 
is inflation, and that's why that is our top priority in terms of addressing that. I, you know, I, I, I see so when you look at the economy, the, the official arbiter of what is a recession is going to be the National Bureau of Economic Research. They'll decide it sometime in the future. So I think what we can constructively do is talk about what is the state of the economy. And as I've tried to describe, the labor market remains exceptionally strong. That is not what we see in past episodes that the NBER has labeled to be recession. On the other hand, we do see significant slowdown in growth. That's um, to be expected given how rapidly the economy grew when it was recovering from the pandemic and all of those job losses and policy was designed to do that. We should expect to see a slowdown. This economy is at full employment. Um, so we have a slowing economy. We have a whole variety of risks um, to the outlook that I've tried to enumerate. But we have great strengths in the economy, too. A strong labor market being one strength. Um, you know, consumer household balance sheets remain generally quite strong. Credit quality is strong. You do not see um, some increase, significant increase in business bankruptcies, the typical kinds of distress we associated with the word recession. But I agree we shouldn't, we, we shouldn't just get involved in the semantics. Let's talk about what's going on. Thank you. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.